Good morning, church family. Uh, the, the topic that we're gonna talk about this morning um, is needed, but it is also upsetting, and it may actually even be uh, upsetting and beneficial for the same person. The topic that we're gonna talk about this morning is abuse. This is an issue that we as the church cannot ignore and we must address. Now, the content of this morning's sermon, it will be sensitive, but it will not be explicit. Uh, my wife Holly and I, we have four kids. They will be in the room at one time or another this morning. Uh, but I also understand that for some of you, this may hit too close to home. And you may need to, for your own sake or for the sake of your kids, feel like you need to step out. And so I'm gonna offer a prayer for us and ask the Lord to help us address uh, this issue with care and with intentionality, but at the same time provide privacy for anyone that feels like they may need to step away this morning. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are here with us in this place that you are with your children, that you uh, do what your word says, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, this morning, what we pray is that you would do what you say you will do, that you will be in the hearts and lives of your people. And as we address this sensitive but important topic, God, we pray that you would cause words to remain in our hearts and in our lives that your spirit intends for us to hold on to. God, we pray that you would give us sensitivity to your leading in our lives and sensitivity to one another, God, that you would be with us, that you would be honored, that you would help us to bring both comfort and safety to others. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So as we start uh, this morning, I wanna um, offer a, a confession or a disclaimer, however you wanna look at it. Um, this has been one of the more, more difficult sermons that I have ever written. Um, I am a man who has not experienced abuse, and so my personal experience is limited. It is what it is. Now, I have walked with people, with friends and family. I have ministered to, to people within our church family. I've had face-to-face -face conversations uh, with uh, survivors, and I have researched enough for multiple sermons on this topic. But this morning, I have prayed for you. I prayed for you who are in this room and you who are online listening to this sermon that God will let only what is helpful, that he'll only let that remain. All this being said, I'm gonna stick pretty close to my notes because I wanna make sure that I get this right. I wanna start off by answering a question that you may have this morning. Why are we talking about the topic of abuse on a Sunday morning service? The first thing I wanna say is that in addressing sin and calling what it is is something that the church has done since its beginning. Paul includes some form of encouragement or incorrection in the majority of his letters. And specifically in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, he talks about the issue um, of sexual immorality and sexual misconduct. These letters from Paul, they were traded around, they were uh, read in public gatherings. And so this morning, we are doing something along those lines uh, together. We're gonna name abuse for what it is. It is sin. We're not debating a hot topic that's open for varying opinions. We're saying that sin is, abuse is sin, and oftentimes it's actually illegal. Second, we are giving some space to bring something into light that is often hidden in the dark, either by being too uncomfortable to talk about or too difficult based off of personal experiences. We wanna name out loud the sin of abuse and say that there is no place for it among God's people and there is no place for it here in this church. We want to name out loud the sin of abuse and say that those who have been victimized, that God sees you, that he loves you, and that we, your church family, we grieve with you. 
We want to be a compassionate people who care and who listen and who walk with you. But when we talk about abuse, what exactly are we talking about? So the American uh, Academy of Psychology defines abuse as interactions in which one person behaves in a cruel, violent, demeaning, or invasive manner toward another person. For one person to leverage their physical power or structural authority to intentionally cause harm to another person, it's always wrong, and it's always a sin. This sin takes many forms, emotional, verbal, spiritual, physical, and sexual abuse. Abuse exists because sin exists. Abuse is the result of human rebellion in its most horrific form. And abuse in any form, it oppresses and it demeans people that were made in God's image and given value by God. So this morning in our, in our time together, we have four things that we're gonna discuss. The first is we're gonna, we're gonna highlight a need for change, specifically um, among Southern Baptist churches and the creation of a Caring Well initiative. So why are we talking about this? Two is to get an update on efforts that we are making in child and abuse prevention here at Shades. And third is to get an understanding of God's heart for the vulnerable, which is so important, and to respond as the church in preventing abuse and in caring for survivors of abuse. So first, uh, the need for change. On February 10th, 2019, I was sitting in our living room when I first saw the reports released from the Houston Chronicles telling about victims, 700 victims of sexual abuse and giving voice to them over the past 20 years. Of these issues, these circumstances of abuse, they took place at the hands of leaders from within the church, of ministers, of pastors, and it should not have happened. And as I sat there reading these stories, six parts of them, I was angry and I was sad and I was appalled. The year before, in 2018, Southern Baptist leadership had commissioned a task force investigating a response to the mishandling of sexual abuse among Southern Baptist churches and entities. The report was scheduled to be released just months after the Houston Chronicle articles were published. So the SBC annual meeting last year here in Birmingham, the report was giving and the Caring Well initiative was launched. This focused effort called to action the 47,000 plus churches of the Southern Baptist Convention to take seriously the issue of sexual abuse within our churches and to take steps toward abuse prevention and in caring for those who have survived abuse. Statistically, one out of four women and one out of six men will have experienced sexual abuse before the age of 18. So anecdotally this morning, just on average numbers that we have show up to a worship gathering on Sundays, about 300 people will or have walked through the doors of our church who have experienced some sort of devious sexual act. And that's a conservative estimate. The prevalence of abuse in our society and sadly within the American church, it cannot be ignored and it must be taken seriously. Now in the 23 years that Danny has been pastor here at Shades, there has been no report of abuse by any sanctioned activity or ministry that has happened here at Shades. And while we're unbelievably thankful for this fact, we are in no way immune from the possibility. We must take seriously our responsibility to prevent even the potential, the potential of abuse for those who are under our care. So this is highlighting the need, but what about our efforts here at Shades? 
So as leaders of Jesus's church, we wanna shepherd those that he has entrusted to us, like he tells us in 1 Peter chapter five. Our church needs to be a place that is safe for survivors of abuse and safe from abuse itself. In response to the Houston Chronicle articles, we at Shades, we formed a child protection team in February of 2019 with staff members from various areas of leadership with minors here at Shades. This group's work started with reviewing, evaluating, and rewriting our child protection policy. We partnered with national leaders in abuse prevention. We involved counsel from members here at Shades who have expertise in counseling, in litigation, and in law enforcement. We collected information from other churches around the country. We reviewed books. We looked at training materials. We sent members from our team to a specific conference that the topic was focused on caring well for the abused. And we listened to firsthand accounts from survivors of abuse. This is gonna go, be an ongoing work as we continue to learn more. Our child protection team spent hundreds of man hours working toward a comprehensive policy with a high level of accountability while not inhibiting personal relational connections that are truly needed for effective ministry. As a part of this policy, a new screening process was implemented for all volunteers who work with minors. This process includes a volunteer application, a criminal background check, reference checking, which many of you have so graciously responded to, personal interviews for new volunteers and abuse awareness training. All these details about the new uh, screening process for volunteers along with the full child protection policy can be viewed online at shades.org CP. We want to know those who are leading our kids and we want those who are leading our kids to know what we expect of them. So our efforts have been focused on caring for the most vulnerable among us, our children. We're working together to protect those who shouldn't be expected to and who are not able to protect themselves. Matthew chapter 18, um, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus compared the faith of children to that of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, saying that anyone who would lead them away from their innocent faith, causing them to sin is doing a grievous thing. Jesus offers needed words of protection here. In Matthew chapter 19, some people brought their children to Jesus. If you're familiar with the Bible, you probably remember the story. They wanted Jesus to bless their kids. And the disciples, they tried to turn them away. They thought that Jesus had better things to do with his time than to spend it with children. But Jesus invited the children to come to him and told his disciples that the kingdom of heaven actually belonged to them. Now, these are just two examples. But throughout the Bible, we are told of the role that children play within the church and in the world at large. Parents, teachers, family, friends, we're all to work together to walk with children as they grow mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. This means that we must protect them from anyone or anything that would take advantage of them in any way. The response that we have gotten from you, our church family, it has been unbelievably encouraging. You've supported these new efforts. You've gone through the screening process and have, some of you have even been courageous enough to come forward and tell us your stories. At the end of last week of this past week, we have 993 people within our church who have submitted a volunteer application, 993. We have 867 people who have completed our online sexual abuse awareness training course. 
867 people within our church family. We are taking seriously the issue of abuse and I cannot thank you more. The bulk of these were completed over a four month time frame late last year and at the beginning of this year. So this is where we've been up to this point. We've experienced within our convention an issue that needs to be highlighted and addressed. We as a church have taken this issue seriously and we have stepped forward. But what about God's heart for the vulnerable and for the abused? Jesus was clear at the start of his ministry that he came for the vulnerable. He came for those who experienced pain and desperately needed things that were wrong to be made right. The Bible tells us how Jesus' ministry began. He was baptized and then he went to the desert and he was tempted and then he went back to his hometown. We read about this in Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 20. The Sabbath day came and Jesus did what he likely did often as a little boy. He went to the temple. He went there and when the time came for the daily reading to happen, Jesus stood up and he took the scroll and he read this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus had come to fulfill this prophecy that was written by Isaiah some 400 plus years earlier. Jesus tells us why he was there. He was there for the poor, for the the oppressed, for the blind, and for the captive. Now, there are a lot of significant things about what Jesus was saying and where he was saying it here. Jesus was in his hometown. He was likely among people that he had grown up around. He was in the temple, a place that had been formative to him as a boy growing up. He was in a place that should have been safe for him, a place that was comfortable But Jesus, the son of God, steps into the one of the most familiar places for him and says that he came for the people that were being mistreated and abused, admitting that the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed were actually there among them. He came with good news that it wasn't always going to be like that for them. This has been God's plan since the beginning of time. But why? Why? did Jesus come for those who were disadvantaged and mistreated? Because God knows the human condition. He knows our need. He knows our brokenness. He knows our pain. He sees us. He hears us. And he is with us. Throughout history and recorded in the Bible, God's nearness to and compassion for people is seen over and over again. Listen to just these few accounts He saw Hagar when she ran in fear. He saw Dinah when her brothers protected her. He saw Joseph when he was beaten and left by his family. He heard Israel when they were being mistreated in Egypt. He heard Tamar when she cried for help. In each one of these moments of verbal, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, God was present, not present giving consent to pain and violence and sin, but present with his children in their suffering, never leaving, never forsaking, always loving, always faithful. Often those who are abused are silenced. Their voices go unheard out of fear or hurt or hundreds of other reasons. 
But we have a God who hears. He hears their voices. God is on the side of the oppressed and mistreated. So of course, this is the reason that Jesus came to bring good news to them. Look at these passages on your screen, just from the Psalms. Psalm 9.9 says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in trouble. Psalm 103 verse six says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 147.3 says, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Our God is one who compassionately hears and responds. And we see this throughout the Bible. God's people crying out for relief and refuge from oppression, even to the point of Jesus being abused, hanging on a cross, crying out to his father for help. For those of you who have experienced abuse or are currently experiencing abuse in any form, this is true for you today too. Jesus came for you. He is with you. He hates what has been done to you. He grieves what has happened to you and the pain that it has caused. He grieves it because of the things that it's made you think about yourself. And he came to give you strength to put one foot in front of the other. He came to give you courage to step toward healing from your abuse. So if this is God's heart, how are we, how are we as the church to respond? A primary way that God intends for care for the abused is through us, is through his church. As the church, we must follow the way of Jesus in speaking good news, in stepping out and caring acts of compassion and intentional acts of protection. The Bible tells us that this is the character of God. This is the life of Jesus. And this is the instruction that God gives us through his very word. In Psalm 82, verses three and four, it says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Galatians 6, verse one says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 John 3, 18 says, let us love in, in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. God has placed us as a church here in this place, in this time, in our community and in this world to show what his kingdom is like. Imagine with me, imagine what the world would think when they look and they see the church stepping in to prevent abuse and care for those who have suffered from it. Friends, we don't have to imagine this because it is what God has called us to do and it is who we will be. We must be a safe place and we must be a compassionate people. We must be a safe place for the vulnerable and the abused. And being a safe place for the vulnerable, we all work together to prevent any type of abuse among our church family and specifically within these walls. We must be vigilant to not get lazy or to take too lightly the plan that we have for child protection. We must encourage one another that in complying to this plan, even in the most basic of ways, that it is showing our commitment to being a safe place for the vulnerable and not tolerating any possibility of abuse. 
We must also be a safe place for those who have been abused. We must commit to providing a safe environment by clearly, clearly hearing every story and every voice instead of dismissing or marginalizing. Our church, here at our church, we're going to shepherd and protect the way that God has called us to by being quick to report illegal activity that occurs, to allow civil authorities to do what God has called them to do. And after reporting, we have a role of a, as a church in those matters, but that does not replace the God-given role that has been given to civil authorities. We're also gonna do what God has called us to do and deal with immoral abuse that may not be seen as criminal, that is offensive to God and harmful to those who are impacted by it. Where the court cannot act, we will oppose abuse through protection of those who are abused, walking alongside them in care and by calling the abuser to repentance. We must be a safe place. If we're not, then what are we? And we must be a compassionate people. We are a church that is committed to preventing abuse and caring for the abused, not just through policy and structural protocol, but through individual caring compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with another, to enter into their experience, to walk alongside them in carrying the weight of their hurt. This means that we must be quick to listen and slow to speak, just like James tells us. Healing happens in community, community with God and in community with his people, with safe people who will listen, who will pray, who will walk, and who will care. But we must also know our limits of help. There are godly men and women in the Christian counseling field who are equipped with tools to help in ways that a friend or even a pastor cannot. In our compassion, we must help our surviving friends to take steps towards healing by the way we listen, the way we respond, and the way that we help them pursue help. I'm gonna say that if you're listening. If you're listening this morning and you have experienced abuse or are currently experiencing abuse, I am so sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've walked through. And I'm sorry for even the difficulty of this message this morning. If my emotion makes you uncomfortable this morning, I'm totally okay with that. This is something we should all grieve. This is something that none of us should take If you've reached out for someone to someone for help and been met with resistance, I'm so sorry. I speak for our church leadership in saying that 
we would be honored to step towards you with compassion to the best of our ability. Our response place for you this morning, we'd like to ask you if you are needing help this morning or would like for us to walk alongside you to email a confidential email address at counselingatshades.org. This account is only monitored by one female and one male ministerial staff member. The appropriate one will respond to you with, within 24 hours. Every experience is unique. We want to respond in ways that are unique to you. We have resources available to you. Books in our library, partnerships with local counselors and ministers who will listen, who will pray and take compassionate steps towards your healing. This morning in the middle of this difficult topic, we cannot forget that our Savior, he is a man of sorrows. He is well acquainted with grief. He was abused and crucified for us, but that was not the end of him. It was not the end. He rose from the grave offering salvation for our sin and hope for our lives. And that same hope is extended to us this morning, even in talking about abuse. We have hope in the midst of suffering that our God is with us, that he cares for us, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and that he is calling his church to step in. We have this hope. God sees us. He reaches out his nail-scarred hands and he offers us the hope that he has secured for us. May we find both confidence and comfort in his presence as we strive for safety and strive for compassion as a church. Will you pray with me? God, this morning we come before you as a people that want to follow the way of your son, Jesus. We want to extend compassion to one another. We want to be a part of the healing process for those who have suffered at the hands of abusers. God, this morning we pray that you would give us as a church grace enough to act. And God, we pray this morning for those who have been abused, those who have survived, God, that you, by the power of your spirit, would meet them in this moment, that they would hear that what has happened to them is wrong, that it is not in your plan for them, God, that it is not the way you design things to work. But even in this, that you are with them, God, and that we come alongside what you want to do in their lives and offering a safe place of compassion. God, in the midst of this really difficult topic to talk about and even hear a sermon on, God, we thank you that we are not a people without hope. As we shed tears, as we grieve, we do so knowing that our Savior Jesus, he has come for us. He has come with all strength and all power to give all hope in every circumstance. And this morning, God, we thank you for that hope. We pray that we will not let go of it that you will continue to draw us near to yourself and that we will respond in faithfulness. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.
How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness your loving kindness. But it's necessary. Um, it's possibly going to be difficult for some of you in this room this morning um, and even hearing it and sitting underneath it. And so um, I want to say that while it's something that's going to be difficult to, to kind of talk through and, and work through, that we need to kind of push through this together if, if it's possible. Um, we're going to talk about abuse this morning. This is something that the church cannot ignore and must address and that's what we're gonna do here today. Now, while the content of this sermon is sensitive, it's definitely not explicit. Um, Holly, my wife and I, we have four kids. Uh, they're in the room uh, today. Um, but I would also say that there may be those of you in the room this morning that um, are uncomfortable with your children being in here or you yourself feel like you need to remove yourself from the situation. I just wanna say that's completely fine. There is space for that. Um, so I'm gonna voice a prayer for us, um, asking the Lord to guide us as we address this topic. And anybody that um, is, would need to step away or would like to step away, there'll be privacy for you in that moment as well. So would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning that we can come together and we can sing about how good you are, about how your grace chases after us, that no part of who we are is hidden from you. And God, we pray this morning that during our time together that that truth would bring us comfort, uh, that it would give us courage, and that it would remind us of our need as a church to act on behalf of those um, who are vulnerable and who have been abused. God, we pray this morning for each of us in this room, but specifically for those that, this, um, that abuse is a part of their journey. Father, that you would be with them, that you would be beside them, your presence would be near. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I wanna start off um, by showing my cards a little bit. Um, this has been one of the more difficult sermons that I have ever written. I am a man who has not experienced abuse, so my personal experience kind of is what it is. It's limited. But I have talked with friends, uh, members of our church family. I have sat face to face and heard firsthand accounts of abuse. I've done enough research to write multiple sermons on this topic. But this morning, um, I want you to know that I have prayed for you. I prayed for you specifically that are in this room or that are watching online and I've asked God to really plant in your heart and in your life the things that you need to hear and that anything else would not, would not remain. All this being said, I'm gonna stick pretty close to my notes this morning because I wanna make sure that, that we get this right. I'm gonna start by answering a question that you might have. Why are we talking about abuse in a Sunday morning worship service? First, I wanna say that addressing sin is something that's been a part of the church since its beginning. Paul included both encouragement and correction in the majority of his letters. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6, you're going to see that Paul specifically is addressing sexual misconduct in that passage. And these letters from Paul, they were circulated around and read in, in large gatherings like we are together here this morning. And so what we are doing is something similar to what has happened um, in the church since its start. We're going to name abuse for what it is. It is sin. We're not going to debate a hot topic that gives space for varying opinions. 
Abuse is sin, and oftentimes it is illegal. Second, we're gonna give space to bring something to light that is often hidden in the dark, either by being too uncomfortable to talk about or because of personal experience that's too close to home and sharing. We want to name out loud the sin of abuse and say that there is no place for it among God's people and there is no place for it here in this church. We want to name out loud the sin of abuse and say that those who have been victimized by it, that God sees you, God loves you, and that we, the church, are here to walk beside you with care and with compassion, to listen and to stand for you. So what is abuse? When we talk about abuse, what are we talking about? The American Academy for Psychology defines abuse as interactions in which one person behaves in a cruel, violent, demeaning, or invasive manner toward another person. For one person to leverage their physical power or structural authority to intentionally cause harm to another person is always wrong and it's always sin. This sin takes many forms, emotional, verbal, spiritual, physical, and sexual abuse. Abuse exists because sin exists. Abuse is the result of human rebellion in its most horrific form. Abuse in any form oppresses and demeans people who are made in the very image of God and given value by God. So during our time together this morning, we have four goals. We're gonna highlight the need for change specifically among Southern Baptist churches and the creation of the Caring Well Initiative among our convention leadership. Second, we're gonna get an update on efforts to prevent, event, prevent abuse here at Shades. Third, we're gonna understand God's heart for the vulnerable and for the abused. And then fourth, we're gonna respond as the church in both preventing abuse and caring for survivors of abuse. So first, the need for change. On February 10th, 2019, I was sitting in our living room when I first saw a report that the Houston Chronicle released about sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. Their investigation spanned 20 years, 20 years, and gave voice to over 700 victims. Abuse that had been inflicted by leaders within the church, by pastors, ministers, deacons, and other leaders. I sat there in that chair and began to grieve their experiences. I was angry and sad and appalled. Their report was um, the year before, the, in 2018, the Southern Baptist Convention leadership had commissioned a task force to investigate and respond to mishandling of sexual abuse among Southern Baptist churches and entities. And that report was scheduled to be released just a few months after the Houston Chronicle reports were published. At the SBC annual meeting, Last year, here in Birmingham, the report was giving, given and the Caring Well Initiative was launched. This focused effort called, the action, called to action the 47,000 plus Southern Baptist churches to take steps to take abuse seriously and to care for those who have survived abuse. National statistics report that one out of four women and one out of six men will have experienced sexual abuse by the time they turn 18. So this morning, this morning, based off of normal Sunday morning attendance, we had roughly 300 men and women walk through the doors of the church that have in some way experienced some form of deviant sexual act. The prevalence of abuse in society and sadly, within the American church, it cannot be ignored and it must be taken seriously. 
In the almost 23 years that Danny has served as our pastor, there has been no report of abuse that's taken place at any shades, sanction, activity, event, or ministry. While we are unbelievably thankful for this fact, we are in no way immune to the possibility. We must take seriously our responsibility to prevent even the potential for abuse of those who are under our care. Next, an update on our efforts here at Shades. As, lay, as leaders in Jesus' church, we want to shepherd those who God has entrusted to us, just like we're instructed in 1 Peter chapter 5. Our church needs to be a place that is safe for survivors and safe from abuse. In response to the Houston Chronicle articles, we formed a child protection team in February of 2019 with staff from various leadership areas who oversee minors in ministry. This, group work, this group's work started with reviewing and evaluating and rewriting our child protection policy. We partnered with national leaders in abuse prevention. We involved counsel from church members who have expertise in counseling and law enforcement and in litigation. We read books, we reviewed training materials, we sent members from our team to a conference that focused specifically on caring well for the abused. And we listened to firsthand accounts from survivors. This is gonna be an ongoing work and we will continue to learn more. Our child protection team spent hundreds of man hours working toward a comprehensive policy that offered a high level of accountability while not inhibiting personal relational interactions that are required for effective ministry. As a part of this policy, a new screening process was implemented for all volunteers who work with minors. The screening process includes an updated application, a criminal background check, reference checking, which so many of you have been gracious in responding to, personal interviews for new volunteers, and abuse awareness training. You can read our full child protection policy and our process for screening volunteers online at shades.org CP. We wanna know those who are leading our kids and students, and we want those who are leading our kids and students to know what our expectations are. We do not wanna be suspicious of everyone, but we wanna have a heightened sense of awareness. We have to remember that the enemy, he is a deceitful liar speaking malicious words that can take root in the most unlikely of places. Our efforts have been focused on caring for the most vulnerable among us, our kids. We're working together to protect those who shouldn't be expected to and who are not able to protect themselves. In Matthew 18, Jesus compared the faith of children to that of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, saying that anyone who would lead them astray from their innocent faith causing them to sin is doing a grievous thing. Jesus's words offer protection for children here. In Matthew chapter 19, some people brought their children to Jesus. If you um, have grown up in the church or familiar with the Bible, you're familiar with this story. They bring their kids to Jesus and they ask Jesus to bless their kids and the disciples tried to turn them away. They thought that Jesus had better things to do with his time than to spend it with kids. But what did Jesus do? He invited the children to come to him and told his disciples that the kingdom of heaven actually belonged to them. These are just two examples, but throughout the Bible, we're told of the role that children play in the kingdom of God and in the world in general. Parents, teachers, family, friends, were all intended to work together to wisely walk with children as they grow mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. This means that we must protect them from anyone and anything that would take advantage of them in any way. 
The response that we've gotten from you, from the church, has been unbelievably encouraging. You have supported these new efforts, you've gone through the screening process, and some have even been courageous enough to tell us of your own experience with abuse, and we do not take that lightly. At the end of this past week, 993 volunteer applications had been completed, and 867 people, 867 people had been through the abuse awareness training. This is huge, guys. We believe in the steps that we're taking here. The bulk of these efforts, of these responses and applications and training, they all took place in a four-month time period toward the end of last year and the beginning of this year. But what about God's heart for the abused and the vulnerable? Understanding its roots kind of nationally and even within our convention, understanding what efforts we need to take within our church to prevent abuse. What about God's heart? for those who are vulnerable and abused. Jesus was clear at the start of his ministry that he came for the vulnerable, for those who experienced pain and desperately needed wrong things to be made right. The Bible tells us how Jesus' ministry began. He was baptized and then he was led into the desert and he was tempted and then he went back to his hometown. We read about this in Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 20. The Sabbath day came and Jesus did what he had probably done since he was a boy. He went to the temple When he was there and it came time for the scripture reading to happen, Jesus stood up and he took the scroll and he read from Isaiah. Read along with me. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's he's sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus had come to fulfill a prophecy from Isaiah that had been written hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus tells us why he is here, for the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. So there are a lot of significant things about this specific account that we see in Luke chapter four. A lot of significant things about what he's saying and actually where he is saying it. Jesus is in his hometown among people that he'd likely grown up around. He was in the temple, a place that had been formative for, her, for him as a boy growing up. And he was in a place that should have been safe for him, a place that was comfortable. But the son of God, he steps into this most familiar of places and says that he came for people that were mistreated and were abused. Admitting that the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed were actually in their midst, they were present among them. He came with good news that it wasn't always going to be like that. This has been God's plan since the beginning of time. But why? Why did Jesus come for those who were disadvantaged and mistreated? Because God knows the human condition. He knows our need. He knows our brokenness. He knows our pain. He sees us. He hears us. And our God, he is with us. Throughout history and recorded in the Bible, God's nearness to and compassion for people is seen over and over and over again. Listen to just a few of these examples. He saw Hagar when she ran in fear. He saw Dinah when her brothers protected her. He saw Joseph when he was beaten and left by his family. He heard Israel when they were mistreated in Egypt. He heard Tamar when she cried for help. In each one of these moments of verbal Emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, God was present. Not present in giving consent to pain and violence and sin, 
but present with his children in their suffering, never leaving, never forsaking, always loving, always faithful. Often those who are abused are silenced. Their voices go unheard out of fear and hurt and hundreds of other reasons. But we have a God who hears. He hears their voices. God is on the side of the oppressed and the mistreated. So of course, of course, this is the reason that Jesus came to bring them good news. Listen to just these passages from the Psalms. You can read along on the screen. Psalm 9.9 says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in trouble. Psalm 103.6 says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 147.3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Our God is one who compassionately hears and responds. We see this all throughout the Bible, God's people crying out for relief and refuge from oppression, even to the point of Jesus himself being abused, hanging on a cross, crying out to his father for help. For those who have, of you who have experienced abuse or are currently experiencing abuse in any form, this is true for you today. Jesus came for you. He is with you. He hates what has been done to you. He grieves it because it isn't the way things are supposed to be. He grieves it because of the pain that it has caused you, and he grieves it because of the things that it's made you to think about yourself. He came to, put, to help you put one foot in front of the other. He came to give you courage to step toward healing from your abuse. So this is God's heart. How does God's heart translate to God's people in the way that we respond? A primary way that God intends to care for the abused is through his church. As the church, we must be committed to following the way of Jesus and speaking good news and carrying acts of compassion and intentional acts of protection. This is the character of God. This is the life of Jesus. And this is God's instruction to us through the Bible. Read along with me. Psalm 82, three through four says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Galatians 6.1 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Friends, God has placed us, the church, in this place, in this time, in this community, in this world to show what his kingdom is like. Imagine what it says to the watching world when they see the church stepping in to prevent abuse and to care for those who have suffered from it. We don't have to imagine it because this is what God has called us to do and this is who we will be. We must be a safe place and we must be a compassionate people. We must be a safe place for the vulnerable and the abused. And being a safe place for the vulnerable, we all work together to prevent any type of abuse among our church family and specifically within these walls. We must be vigilant to not get lazy or take too lightly our plan for child protection. We must encourage one another to comply with this plan even in the most basic of ways that this is part of our commitment to being a safe place for the vulnerable and not tolerating any kind of abuse. We must also be a safe place for those who have been abused. 
We must commit to providing a safe environment by clearly hearing every voice, every story, instead of discarding or marginalizing. At our church, we're going to shepherd and protect the way that God has called us to by being quick to report illegal activity that occurs, to allow civil authorities to do what God has called them to do. And after reporting, we have a role as a church in those matters, but that does not replace the authority that God has given into civil authorities. We're also going to do what God has called us to do to deal with a moral abuse that may not be seen as criminal, but that is offensive to God and harmful to those impacted by it. When the court cannot act, We will oppose abuse and we will step forward in protection and care and walking alongside them and calling the abuser to repentance. We must be a safe place and we must be a compassionate people. We are a church that is committed to preventing abuse and caring for the abuse, not just through policy and structural protocol, but through individual care and compassion. The word compassion actually means to suffer with another to enter their experience, to walk alongside them, to carry the weight of their hurt with them. This means that we must be quick to listen and slow to speak, just like James tells us. Healing happens in community, in community with God and in community with safe people who will listen, who will pray, who will walk with us and who will care. But we must also know the limits to our help. There are also godly men and women in the Christian counseling field who are equipped with tools to help in ways that a friend or even a pastor cannot. In our compassion, we must help our surviving friends take steps towards healing by the way we listen, respond, and help them pursue resources in healing. If you're listening to the sermon this morning or you're here in this room and you are currently or have experienced abuse, I want to say first that I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've walked through and even the difficulty of hearing a message like this this morning. I'm sorry that if you've reached out to someone for help and have been met with resistance. I am not sorry if you are uncomfortable with my emotion. We should all grieve this. I speak for our church leadership in saying that we would be honored to step toward you with compassion to the best of our ability. We'd love for you to reach out by sending an email to a confidential email address at counselingatshades.org. This account is monitored by only two people, one female and one male member of our ministerial staff. The appropriate one will respond to you within 24 hours. Every experience is unique, and we want to respond in ways that are unique, unique to you. We have resources available to you, books in our library, partnerships with quality counselors, and ministers who will listen and pray and take compassionate steps with you toward healing. This morning in this, the middle of this really difficult topic, 
We cannot forget that our Savior is a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Our Savior was abused and crucified for us, but that was not the end. He rose from the grave offering forgiveness from our sin and hope for our lives. And this is the hope we have to celebrate today in the midst of horrible circumstances is that hope. Our God who sees us, he reaches out his nail-scarred hands and offers us the hope that he has worked to secure for us. So today, may we find both confidence and comfort in his presence with us as we strive for safety and for compassion as his church. Will you pray with me? Our God, this morning, you're here in this space. You are in the hearts and lives of your people, and so you know how this sits heavy and uncomfortable. But God, we thank you that you don't avoid that. You don't avoid the heavy. You don't avoid the uncomfortable. But you meet us there. And so for God, this morning, I pray for our church as a whole, that we would be a people committed to following the way of Jesus to loving and compassion and extending hope to those who may have a hard time believing that you're one who can be hoped in. God, I pray that you would help us to take steps of prevention and care in ways that honor you and that you look on us with pride. God, I pray for those in the room this morning who have experienced abuse, God, in whatever form it is, I pray this morning that you would remind them of your presence in their lives, that you're with them, you're for them, and you will never leave them. God, we pray that you would plant the seeds of hope in their lives, and if they're in the process of recovery, that you would water those seeds, Father. God, we pray that we would be faithful to you as your church. We pray that we would lift up the hope that we have in Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your son and we pray these things in his name, amen.